0: Among the little odds and ends that I keep from the past, there happens to be encased in a plastic case in my office something which is very dear to me because it was printed on paneled parchment, sent out in a doubled envelope in letters of gold. And these are the words, 1890 to 1940, you are cordially invited to rejoice with Miss M. Moss Richardson, honoring the golden anniversary of her conversion at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the 3rd of September, 1940. How sweet the time has been. Psalm 8410, Psalm 956, Malachi 310. Now, you don't get many such anniversary notices as that. Mother Moss kept very faithfully and happily her birthdays, marking the years as we'll mark Uncle Ed's birthday on Friday night, but she kept very faithfully her spiritual birthday too. The time in which she had given her life to Jesus Christ and had entered into an experience of his lordship, and it was perfectly natural for her, therefore, to know that those whom she loved would want to rejoice with her on the golden anniversary of her conversion to Jesus Christ. The new birth has been much talked about in the press and bumper stickers. and I even saw this summer when the great tennis pro had won a tournament up in Canada, the headline said, Born Again, that the tennis player born had won a tennis match and the press has taken off on it. And sometimes when you popularize things like that, you sloganize them into a shallowness that does not do justice to the profound meaning that's there. George Whitefield was a great preacher, and he preached about 300 sermons in the New Birth. He came to this country, and uh, he preached all up and down America, and he made friendship with a man who printed many of his sermons in the Pennsylvania Gazette. A printer who's known to most of us as Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a very smart man. He invented the bifocals, and I'm wearing his invention this morning. He uh, he originated the idea of public libraries, and I enjoy being able to go to a library and check out a book. He invented the postal system, and it hasn't, grown much in speed since he invented it, <laughs> but <laughs> he invented it, and uh, he experimented with electricity, and uh, he had a friendship with George Whitfield that was very unusual. Whitfield was a spellbinding evangelist. He could preach back in the days before we had microphones and amplifiers to 20,000 people, and he could make his voice heard and they would come and listen to Whitfield preach. And Benjamin Franklin was just absolutely taken with the great power of this enormously gifted evangelist and whenever he was in Philadelphia, uh, he would always uh, go and hear uh, Whitfield whenever Whitfield was there preaching. In fact, there's a famous story that uh, George Whitfield who by the way, had a social consciousness that is sometimes overlooked. There are many people who think that because we're concerned about conversions, we're not concerned about people's bodies. And this is not true. George Whitfield founded the first orphanage founded in the United States of America. He founded it down in Savannah, Georgia. Many of the people who came over here as colonists were not prepared for the rigors of the coasts of Georgia. They were unaccustomed to the heat and the uh, terrible uh, change that took place in their working habits. And so there were a lot of people who died. And there were a lot of little children that were left. And George Whitfield saw this as a real need, and as a result of it, he organized an orphanage there. Now, in collecting money for his orphanage up in Philadelphia, um, Franklin, who was a little bit miserly, uh, had determined that he would only take so much money with him he had back then they used pound notes he had a five pound note and uh, he had some uh, silver money and some copper money and as Whitfield began to tell the plight of these orphans down in Savannah he felt himself letting go of some of the copper money and as he preached on about their plight he let go of some of the silver money and then as he talked on Franklin let go of the five pound note. And then he turned to one of his Quaker friends and nudged him by the arm and asked him to lend him 10 pounds. And the Quaker said, Friend Franklin, you're not in your right senses at the present moment. Any other time, I would be glad to lend you anything you want to borrow. <laughs> that was the great power of, of George Whitfield in preaching. Well, and George Whitfield wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin and I thought it important enough to print a portion of it in one side of the bulletin. I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world and have made much progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting subject. When mastered, it will richly repay you for your pain. Now then, when we turn to the Gospel of John, we read about the new birth but we must not read about it without understanding first the purpose for which John wrote his record of the gospel. He tells us the purpose of his book in the the, the 30th verse of the 20th chapter, which ought to be marked in your copy of the gospel of John. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. And then in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read that to as many as received him, that is Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now John put his book together around a series of signs and around a series of conversations or discourses that took place. And in the second chapter, he performs a miracle of turning water into wine. He demonstrates his creative power, the Lord Jesus does. And then he has the first cleansing of the temple, because he had seen that the temple had become a place of commerce, that there were tradesmen and money changers there. And so he drove them from the temple. And then if you come to verse 23 of the second chapter, you read that now when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover, and remember the Passover celebrates the exodus out of Egypt, a great event that took place. And what conversion is meant to do is to celebrate an event that takes place. Something concrete and specific. Something that is going to take place in the life of all who ask Jesus to come into their hearts. And now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding the signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning him, for he himself knew. What was in man? Then immediately begins our lesson for today. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. The phrase a man of the Pharisees designates a person of prominence. It's a curious way of designating him. Just as in English, now there was a man of the Pharisees. There was a man from North Carolina. There was a man from Texas or a man from Georgia. When you say those things, you point out something specific. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night. This tells us some things about this man. It tells us that he was a very strict religious person. He was a, a member of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of 70, the council that met in Jerusalem. This man came by night and said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. That's a tremendous thing to say. Now remember, most of the Pharisees did not like Jesus. Most of the Pharisees did not like John the Baptist. In fact, the most scathing, inflammatory, denunciatory things that Jesus said, he said to the scribes and to the Pharisees, Uh, It's interesting to note that there are no Sadducees that we know about that are ever converted in the New Testament. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did believe in the bureaucracy of of what would be equivalent to the church. But that was about it. But there there are Pharisees, very strict and desperately religious men. And Jesus has harsh things to say to them. And we see a number of them converted. And this man was very brave. He comes to Jesus because he has seen in Jesus a quality that he has not seen in anyone else. He is not like the man that we talked about last week, Zacchaeus, who would have been the equivalent of a boss of the bosses in the mafia. He is not like him. He is not like the woman at the well that you'll read about in the fourth chapter. Who is a much married woman who is really a prostitute he is not like even the rich young ruler although they both would have been in an elite class this man is a very learned theologian and yet he knows that there is something in what jesus is saying and there are signs which have authenticated it that makes him to understand that he must go for further information to Jesus. That's my first point. He was curious. He was curious to know more. Zacchaeus was curious to see Jesus, who he was. And he climbed up into that tree, hiding under the leaves in that sycamore tree. And Jesus is always anxious to see a person who is curious after him. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, but you're curious. If you are, you're just the person he's looking for. I love it when Jesus looks up in the tree, and I wish you could get the color of it all when he says, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. You come on down. I'm going to your house today. I must go to your house. That's a marvelous thing. Didn't make very many people happy because he did it. But Jesus didn't care. Love is vulnerable, and love is willing to respond in just this way. Now here, here is a very different person. He comes by night, and he speaks to Jesus in the most polite and proper terms. Rabbi, he says, and in fact, it's really better than that. It's my dear, my dear teacher. We know that you have come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? He puts it in the form of a question. Now Jesus here uses a metaphor of birth. All of us in this room were born. If you got into the world any other way, please come up and meet me after the service. I'd like to see you. There there are people who say, don't use these analogies about sheep or about leprosy or something because they don't fit. Well, you can certainly use the analogy about birth because it fits. We were all born. We've had one generation. But what he speaks about here is that we must have a regeneration, another birth and he wants to make that very plain. So Jesus said to him that he had to be born again or he could not see the kingdom of God. They were always discussing the topic of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can this be? Now, really, I've pondered this many, many times and wondered why Nicodemus put this back to him this way. He could have been stalling for time, His intellect could have been baffled. Maybe he knew that sometimes converts to Judaism were spoken of as entering into a new life like being born again. But maybe it's wistful. Maybe he is an old white-haired man with wrinkled skin, steeped in law and tradition. And he can only say to Jesus, that's okay for these young fellows. They can... They haven't done the things I've done. I'm too set in my ways, I can't change. It's too late now, it's too late, wistfully. Across the fields of yesterday, he sometimes comes to me, a little lad just back from play, the lad I used to be, and yet he smiles so wistfully once he's crept within that I wonder if he hopes to see the man I might have been. Well, here is the land of beginning again. Here Jesus says you can begin again and celebrate a brand new birthday. And he makes it very plain to this old man. And the old man answers him, how can this be? And Jesus said, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You're born of the flesh and one day your flesh will die. But when you're born again of the spirit, your spirit will never die. And that's an important thing to remember. If you're born twice, you'll die only once. But if you're born only once, You'll die twice. In the book of Revelation, hell is spoken of as the second death. Well, now here, Nicodemus must have been greatly interested, born of water. What would water bring to his mind? I think it must surely have brought to his mind John the Baptist baptizing people who wanted to change to repentance. And repentance means metanoia. It means, you all know what metamorphosis is in metabolism. The M-E-T-A, meta means change. Uh, morphosis, change of form. Metamorphosis, a change of form. Uh, metanoia is a change of mind. And it means a whole orientation session takes place. A changed way of looking at things. And the outward sign of that was baptism. And John the Baptist had been baptizing people. Oh, to be sure, many of them were publicans, cheaters, tax collectors, prostitutes, soldiers. And John had to preach those terrifying sermons about hell and judgment. And they came and were baptized unto repentance. And Jesus yet says to this proper scholarly theologian who has kept the law meticulously, You must be born again. And I think this must have gotten to him. You must be born again. He wants it. Jesus said, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Listen. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. Listen to the wind. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. Last night when I was lying in bed, I listened to the wind. I thought about Bob Dylan who wrote that song, Blowing in the Wind. I remember when he wrote it back in the 1960s, the early 60s, tremendous rebel, uh, a Jew, his name is Zimmerman, he changed his name to Dylan, he wrote all these things. And back during the uh, horrible 60s when everybody was going through all the, the revolutions, he had this song, How Many Roads Must a Man Walk Down Before He becomes a man. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. And now six months ago, someone told me that six months ago, he joined a Bible class out in California and that he has become baptized into the Christian faith and that he now claims the new birth. And he has a brand new album called A Slow Train Coming. And maybe it's speaking about his own coming to the Lord. The answer, my friend, was blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. But the wind is the Spirit of God that Jesus speaks about here. The water would speak of of repentance and the need to change. The wind would be the power. We have seen the devastation of Hurricane Frederick. And David, you can see what power can be unleashed when the wind becomes hurricane force. And the great power of God dwarfs that power. Out uh, in the West where we live, we pump water with windmills. They've even put one up over in Boone now. Uh, you, You have great power in the wind. The wind can be gentle and soft, blowing little flowers back and forth. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. No artist can paint you a picture and write under it the wind because you can't see it. And Jesus said, you can't see the wind, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it listeth, it says in the old King James way. You know where that word list comes from? It'll shock you a little bit. It comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, lust. And lust means a strong desire. The Spirit goes where he lusteth. The Spirit has a strong desire to enter into your heart, like those bones out in the bleaching sun that Ezekiel is told to go and to preach to. And Nicodemus could easily remember his prophet Ezekiel and that valley of the dry bones. That was a dry audience to preach to. And yet when he preached to them and prophesied to the wind and the wind came and blew upon those bones joint came to joint flesh and sinew came together and there stood a great and mighty army. And so God can take even what looks like a hopeless situation with this curious man who wants to know more. And he tells him about how it's going to happen. I wish we had time to go through it all. He was curious, so he came. He was concerned, and we read how his concern grows. And this is a point. My wife said, are you going to have anything in this sermon for Christians who are already born again? Yes. And you know, I'm not like my old friend that I read the Birthday announcement for announcing her spiritual rebirth. I couldn't tell you if I were going to be shot uh, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I don't know. All I know is I did. I can point to a number of milestones that happened to me where the Lord spoke to me, but I can't tell you uh, any time or moment. I can remember going down several aisles and raising my hand a number of different times. And praying in a lot of different places, and I expect that's the experience of most of us. The important thing is, is not so much the moment. The important thing is that it happens. If you pull these draperies and it gets dark outside, and then daylight comes in the morning, and then you suddenly yank the draperies back, light floods in the room. But if you leave the draperies open, then light, as daylight comes, suffuses the room gradually. And the important thing is that the light comes. And this is what this man who came out of the dark uh, to Jesus is going to learn. The second thing I want to show you is how he was concerned. Jesus, 18 months later, had been brought before the chief priest. Jesus, 18 months later, is going to be put to death. And there is already a plot to destroy him. And the Sanhedrin is in on it. And the officers came and the chief priests and the Pharisees and said, Why did you not bring him? They had sent the soldiers to arrest Jesus. The officers answered, Never did a man speak like this man speaks. And the Pharisees, you know, that's a great testimony. Therefore, the Pharisees answered him, You have not also been led astray, have you? That's a testimony. Has anyone ever said that to you because of your experience with the Lord? Have you been led astray by hanging around those religious people? Well, these people that were sent to arrest Jesus came back and had to say that they didn't have any prisoner. It was very obvious. And they said they never heard one speak like him. And do you know what these arrogant Pharisees say? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees have believed in him, has he? Just like that the sort of thing. He doesn't have a Ph.D., does he? Where did he go to seminary? Who's he? Who ever heard of anybody that came from that place? Nazareth, you see that's the way you put people down. I came from Texas, a particular part of Texas where we have a horrible country accent. I've been mistaken for a movie star, Chester on Gunsmoke, again and again, (laughs) because I have a hick accent. And they say, this is a redneck, listen to that accent. And this is the way people have always had these cultural ways of putting them down. Uh, these Galileans, these rednecks, these country bumpkins. No one of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But the multitude which does not know the law, they're accursed. Nicodemus said to them, he who came to him by night. Now this is very brave. He's concerned. Our law does not judge a man unless it has is first heard him and knows what he's doing, does it? And look how they answer him. You are not also... From Galilee, are you? (laughs) Search and see. No prophet shall arise out of Galilee. Well, they didn't know their Bible. A prophet did come out of Galilee. And I think that that night after the Sanhedrin met, kind of like when the session meeting is over, the officers are going home and two or three people hang around to talk about something. I think Nicodemus must have stood around and he talked with Joseph of Arimathea And he said, You know, they said no prophet comes out of Galilee. I've been studying this. That's exactly where he came from. You know where he was born? He wasn't born in Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem. That's the city of David. Bethlehem was where it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born. And then they began to talk about other scriptures. They talked about Nan- Daniel 9, a scripture that could almost predict the coming of the Messiah's time. They began to think about other passages of scripture that would fit into what, had been, what they had learned about Jesus of Nazareth. And that's a tremendous thing that takes place. You see, Messiah was not going to be an angel. Messiah was going to be a man. And then... Because my time is gone, I've got to tell you the last thing. We won't sing the last hymn so I can get this in. He was not only concerned, but let me say this about the concern. Can you see a difference in Nicodemus? He has a sense of fairness and justice now that he didn't have before. Our law does not condemn a man until it's hurt him, does it? when a person becomes a Christian or becomes close to Jesus, it ought to result in that person being more fair. It ought to be result in that person being more loving. Now, mind you, Nicodemus was timid and they tried to intimidate him, but yet he spoke up for Jesus. And if you've been walking with Jesus and you hear someone being put down unfairly, maybe you ought to speak up. Have you ever been intimidated so you didn't speak a good word for Jesus Christ when you should have? Well, think about the courage that Nicodemus shows right here when he himself is a member of the Sanhedrin and they ridicule him because he speaks up for Jesus. But he did. Now the last time that you see Nicodemus in this pilgrim's progress has come from the fact that he was curious and concerned to the place where he makes an open commitment. And that's the name of the game. That's commitment. And commitments are costly business. And it cost him. That was when they nailed Jesus on a cross. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were there They saw it all take place. They saw the lightning and the thunder and the earthquake and the blood pour down. They heard him say, I thirst. The one who had said that he would give the living water. They heard him lied about the one who said, I am the truth. They saw him die, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And they heard him cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Nicodemus must have said to Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph, that night I went to him. He said that unless the Son of Man be lifted up, and that couldn't have meant anything but the cross, unless he be lifted up. And he said, that's it. That shows he's the Messiah. All that Isaiah 53 says about the suffering servant, that he bore our sins, that by his stripes we are healed, Oh, listen, Joseph, he's the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. And Joseph, evidently a person of some great standing in the city, goes to Pilate and begs for the body of Jesus. And they deliver the body. Now remember, when a Jew touched a dead body, he was automatically defiled. He couldn't keep the Passover. But they took down that poor, pathetic body of Jesus and put spices around it. They did what his disciples didn't do. They all forsake him and fled. But Nicodemus had gone public with his profession of faith by this time. The pilgrim had made great progress. He was there. He had owned him as his lord. And there was no doubt about it. Now then, the question has to come back to you. You may not be able to point to a time, but is Jesus really Lord of your life? If he is not, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. There's no telling where it'll lead you. When Jesus said, you hear the wind, Nicodemus, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going, you don't know where it's going to lead you. Nicodemus never dreamed that night that it was gonna lead him to that cross. Nicodemus never dreamed it would lead him to that hassle with the Sanhedrin in the upper room. John Wesley, when he formed that holy club at Oxford with George Whitfield and the others, the Holy Spirit was already working then. When he came over here on a boat and he saw that the Moravians were not afraid because they did trust in Christ and Christ alone for, for salvation, He was moved, but he still wasn't there. And then in that prayer meeting in Aldersgate Street, when he finally did trust in Christ, he saw where the Spirit had led him all the way. Now, he may be leading you just in this moment to trust in him. And if he does, you can ask him to come into your heart right now. I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward. I'm going to ask it to be something between you and the Lord. Then you tell someone else about it. Seek clarification of your faith through a study of the scriptures and through conversation with others. Then go public and make it known. Let us stand and be dismissed with prayer. We will not have the closing hymn, We'll Be Dismissed With Prayer. Our heavenly father, we thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful. We thank you for this blessed teaching of the new birth, that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the living word of God. And that when that word takes root in our heart and when it breaks down, and shoots forth, we become new creations in you. We thank you that when David had sinned long ago and cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, that you have answered it, that you have answered it, that you will create within us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. And so for any here today who have never surrendered his or her life to Jesus, make this, that moment of decision. Let the going down the aisle be as they walk down this aisle to go out to serve you. Help them to go home and sit down and to read through the Gospel of John, to read this great third chapter again and to give as much of his or herself as they know To as much of Jesus as they understand. And then to act upon that. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God our Father. And the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Our keeper and our guide. Be and abide with us all. Now and forevermore.